Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, February 7th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris rolling through our position preview series. And today we continue our move around the infield by starting at third base. Yes, we've gone from shortstop to second base, back over to the other side of the infield at third. Of course, that means first base coming up later this week. But on this episode, tons of players to talk about. It's a position that is... Not as deep as it probably should be, but there are some opportunities, I think, in the middle rounds and the late rounds. We're going to try and figure out where you want to take those chances and who you want to avoid earlier in your drafts or in your auctions as well. Because I think there are a few pitfall players that tend to go very early at this position. Uh, you know, how was your weekend? It was good. Uh, I was up in Seattle at Driveline. And I still have sticky crap all over my body because I got naked for science. Um, what? I did, the mo- I did the motion capture. So they put the little sticky balls on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still have those marks and still have the sticky stuff on me. And I threw an amazing 59 miles an hour. <laughs> what was the spin rate? Whee! 1,500. 1,500. Well, it's like, that's kind of like. It's basement for pros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like it was a good trip. Seattle always a good uh, oh, beer place fun. too, right? Yes. Went to Cloudburst up in Ballard. They have a new spot up there. That was fun. Uh, really good beers. And then on the second night, we went to Chuck's Hop Shop. They have a new spot in Seawald. Uh, that was great. I had some Sea Pine beers there that I really enjoyed. And then... We found a little hole in the wall called the Slow Boat Tavern, and that was pretty sweet, too, because they had some cloudbursts on tap and some sours, and uh, we ate our shawarmas uh, and had a rockin' good time. So shout out to uh, the group that we had there. Captain Ahab is a listener, um, Mikey Aheto, and then uh, just a, a good group of people. I can't remember all the Twitter handles, and some remain to which wish to remain anonymous. So I think <laughs> Bottleman's Empire. I think that's that's one I remember. Uh, so it was uh, it was a good it was a good time. We all a good time was had by all, and um, and it was for science. They now have the worst data point they could uh, wish to have in their in in their. Uh, in their database there because I probably one of the oldest people that's ever done the mocap for them and definitely one of the crappiest. So oh, yeah. <laughs> if they want to see what first percentile hip shoulder separation looks like, have at it. <laughs> if they want to see what a uh, kind of, I don't know, soft bellied six, one <laughs> yeah. 37 year old with bad mechanics looks like I'm happy to help I'm not getting naked <laughs> for them, but um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll fly up there and, Put the sticky stuff on and try and uh, help the cause if, uh, if they need, you know, people. That's what research is all about. You need people. You need subjects. You need people willing to sign up to actually do it. But let's get on to our third base preview. We begin in the top, as we have for all these episodes. We're looking at about two weeks of ADP data at the time of the recording using NFPC and breaking players into their draft here. So they're not necessarily where Eno and I are putting these players, but this is where the market has put these players in recent weeks. Uh, Jose Ramirez, really the only consistent first rounder, pretty consistently within the first five or six picks of drafts. I don't really have any reason to say don't draft Jose Ramirez. I mean, there's a chance he ends up on a better team if a trade happens once the lockout is over. 
the skills look like they're holding up really well. I know he had that that disappointing first half back in 2019 now. Bounced back from that in a big way. And frankly, I, I just I don't see him as a guy who's going to completely collapse. Like maybe we get to the point in his career where he backs off the steals a little bit and he gives back a half dozen bags in a season, even if he's completely healthy. I guess that's a possibility, but that's still not an overwhelming concern. We're talking about a guy who's 29 years old, seems to have at least a good batting average floor with room for some actual ceiling and positive contributions there, steady power and efficiency on the base pass as well. And like many players at this position within the first 15 to 20 players in the group, he is a max volume guy on top of all of that. Yeah, I don't think even, you know, there's some rumblings of a trade or whatever, but I I don't even think that that would hurt so much. I mean, the one thing that you might not know about Cleveland is that it actually skews a little bit towards hitter-friendly, except for the weather. So, you know, once you get past April, it's a nice place for hitters, in fact. And uh, uh, so I guess you could go to somewhere that was worse. But I think the big rumor is Toronto. And so I think uh, you would be about the same in Toronto with more runs and RBI. So it would only be a good thing for him. One question is if you are, you know, are you getting a plus batting average from him? Maybe not plus. There's some risk there. He had a 255 batting average in 2019. Uh, he's projected for about a 275, but I think at the very least, uh, you're not uh, shooting yourself in the foot batting average wise, right? So it's like one of those guys that'll just give you good stuff everywhere. And in fact, what you're noticing, I think, if you look at ADP, uh, he's rising. He's uh, he's moving up. Uh, you know, I have, uh, with the auction calculator set to the bat, I have Ramirez uh, as maybe the sixth sixth best bat, uh, and he's going fourth overall. So uh, guys that project better than him that are going behind him are Otani and Acuna, and I think, well, you know, that makes sense, you know, just uh, because... Otani, uh, you know that depends on how you can use him. You know, if you can, use, if he's a weekly, if it's a weekly lineup, then you can't get the full Otani. Um, and uh, with Acuna, there's some uh, there's some risk with uh, the health. Although I would, I have to say that the videos they look good. <laughs> the videos <laughs> look good. People are quick to point out. Players would not post videos of themselves looking bad. <laughs> bad. Like it, if his knee was just all mangled and his, his stability Limping wasn't around. there to swing. <laughs> right. We, I mean, it, it's a good sign. Like we're, we're happy to yeah. see Acuna progressing in workouts. I did see, I think it was Vinny Pasquantino had a video that was making the rounds. And it was like a minute of him trying to figure out making an adjustment. And then I think he went the opposite way with the ball at the end of the sequence because he was working on, on breaking stuff. And I thought this is actually really honest because he didn't cut out the minute or so of the video where he looked like a regular person and then, you know, finally got it where he wanted it to go. I just thought this is this is the content that I want. I want to see how difficult this process uh, really is. And modern and modern bat, bat training, I was at driveline like they definitely are trying to do drills there where they're failing. You know, there's definitely that's one of the things Donnie Ecker said a lot of. You know, when he was out here in San Francisco was, you know, I have drills where, you know, they're supposed to fail. They're supposed to fail 85% of the time, which is just, 
That would be posting your L's on Twitter if you show that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's part of the process. But yeah, Jose Ramirez is not an L. I I, I think I, I can get with... Uh, uh, I don't know if I can get with him ahead of Soto, uh, but I guess I could because of the stolen bases and then the sort of perceived drop-off in third base, which we'll talk about. Right. I think if you're looking at Ramirez versus Soto, you're getting pretty even power in terms of those expectations for home runs. You're getting more speed from Ramirez, but you're probably giving up 30 to 40 points in projected batting average. So it really depends on how important it is to you to have that foundation uh, really kind of locked in. But I think it's definitely a a good A-B decision early on. Looking at the other early third baseman, the very early third baseman, two guys that usually go in the second round of 15-team leagues, Rafael Devers and Manny Machado. I was looking at the auction calculator with the bat X, and there's not much that separates those two players at all. I mean, there's an age difference, of course, if you prefer a younger player who might be still capable of unlocking one more level. I guess Devers would tick that box. If you look at the last three seasons combined, he's got a slight edge in batting average over Machado, so it's probably part of the reason why he goes a little bit earlier. Uh, They actually both run a little bit. Machado runs a little more than Devers does, and Devers has shown a tick more power over the last three seasons as well. So if you're left to choose between those two, and it sounds like you do have a lot of concerns about the shape of this position, do you have a strong preference between Devers or Machado? Yeah, I mean, I'm taking Devers. I want I want that youth. Uh, if you sort them by leaderboard, by barrels, which is a, the best power predictive stat that there is, Devers was third among third basemen last year, and that's without that's with a 10 plate appearance minimum. So really uh, excellent batted ball contact. Manny Machado's eighth, you know, tied basically with Evan Longoria. So and and Austin Riley. So, you know, I'm taking Devers because of that. Uh, if there is a chance between the two of them, especially since um, I'm supposed to have age on here, Devers 24, Manny 28. I would just say that if there was a breakout 90, 90th percentile season from either of them, I would say it's Devers. And if there was one from him, I think you could hit 345 homers and 10 steals. I mean, he has that ability in him all he'd have to do is cut a little bit of strikeout rate and have a career year so it's sotoian what's that sotoian <laughs> yeah which which you're getting uh later and, and with a position that has some positional value manny though uh if he falls into the third which he does in some drafts um i, I kind of that's kind of ent- enticing because he does uh, give you some steals and you know I don't know what you would do, but let's say you had a Kyle Tucker, Brandon Woodruff, Manny Machado start. That would work. That's that's totally possible, right? I think that's by ADP. It's a shade light on batting average compared to other two-hitter combinations up top, but not in an alarming sort of way. And uh, you have some breakout uh, percentage with Kyle Tucker. Like if you had like a nice young player up there. Uh, you have some breakout percentage there, and then Manny Machado is just like a steady Eddie that fell to you in three. So, uh, the, the, I'm not saying that I don't like Manny. I'm just going to take Devers over. Yeah, I was just surprised that their projections, their auction values, so are close. so close. Because I, I would have 
agreed with the market that Devers their ADP is not that close. I mean, it's almost it's like seven or eight points apart. Yeah, Devers is like a one-two apart. turn guy. Like, there's going to be drafts yeah. probably in March where someone pushes Devers into the late part of the first round. And I think you're right. There's going to be some rooms where Machado, as people chase pitching and chase guys that run a bit more, Machado is going to be among those early round guys who falls but i don't have a reason to keep on avoiding him from later in round two early round three definitely in on machado in that range and and based on the auction calculator there's a huge drop based on adp there's a good drop in this spot as well the second tier i only put two players in here based on how the adp is falling right now and it's austin riley and adalberto mondesi both just outside the top 50 overall over the last two weeks you could see both jumping up depending on circumstances i think with riley i don't know you know i I look at riley and i think everything that he could have done right or and could have had go right all happened last year it was the perfect storm he's a good player i don't know if he's the kind of player that i want to pay maximum price for i don't know if there's another level there i don't know if i buy into austin riley as a 303 hitter he hit 368 on balls in play last year He does make a lot of hard contact, and he's not a bad runner, but he's just not the kind of guy that I would expect to carry an average like that. The projections point to the 260-270 range, so if you knock him down there, bring the home runs down just slightly, I I don't know. Like I, I I think you're probably paying for a year you're not likely to get here if you pay full price for Austin Riley. Is there anything in the underlying profile? That gives you some pause. We saw some K rate improvements in the shortened season. He held those throughout last year. He did a good job of, of chasing pitches outside the zone less. So there's definitely some legitimate growth from Riley. But I just think I don't see another level coming from him. Yeah, it's tough because he's a 24. And why why would I say that You know, he doesn't have growth ability where uh, Devers does? But that's how I see it. I, I kind of feel like Riley got to his ceiling. Like in, just in terms of the the nice growth that you've seen and you know the the reach rate improvements uh the barrel rate improvements I, I like all those things but the swing strike rate is still really high the the walk to strikeout rate is still pretty poor uh, he does not going to offer you any stolen bases uh, i mean i kind of think that uh, yeah he turned into a four win player and that's amazing for the for the Braves that's really important and great for them great for Riley but i don't think i see like a six or seven win uh, ceiling in him. I don't think I see a guy who gets uh, finishes top three in the MVP type stuff from him. Right. Um, So I think this is, this is who he is uh, with maybe some regression coming, as you say, in the batting average component. So I find these two picks fairly risky. They, I, I, I always talk about my bias towards guys that can make contact and have a good eye at the plate. And, um, Riley and Mondesi d- succeed despite those things, uh, despite not having those things. Uh, and so um, I'm just not going to end up with them unless they fall to me. And I don't think that, you know, these ADPs scream fall uh, to me. They're both in that sort of, uh, what, sort of 50 to 60 range. Yeah. And I, I think with Riley, this could be a much scarier profile. I, one thing that really stands out to me is for for a guy that has some of these underlying numbers, I would expect a more pull-happy distribution of home That's runs. True. He hits them all over the place. 
Yeah. And I think that bodes well. Yeah. And it just bodes well for his average not being a liability at the other end of the scale. I just don't think he's a 300 guy. I think he's probably a 270 guy, like the projections say. So, you know, the lineup's good. If they keep Freddie Freeman, they have a healthy Acuna. It's a supporting cast that's just as good as it was last year, if not better, for the full season. The counting stats should be fine. I think part of the problem for me with Riley is some of the older veteran guys that go 20 and 30 picks later should be pretty close to his output. How about how about a neat this, not that right there with Austin Riley and Nolan Arenado uh, projected to be 20 cents apart by the bat and uh, ADP 20 uh, points apart. Yeah, that's more along the lines of, of why I'm not totally into Riley. I mean, I think if people thought he was hitting 300 again, he'd go 10 or 15 picks earlier than he does. I think the market has already sort of corrected for my, my greatest skills concern. Uh, but the shape of this position does open up a few interesting possibilities elsewhere. I, I'd wait on Arenado and take him as a, a substitute for Riley because I also believe in guys that go later than Arenado as being viable as well. But we should talk about the the Edalberto Mondesi speed tax. I'm just used to being charged for ridiculous things now that I, I live in California. <laughs> I'm just used to it. So maybe I'm, I'm numb to the idea of, of overpaying for Mondesi. No, I'm, I'm just joking around. But... With Mondesi, good bad, good good barrel rate. The barrel rate's I mean, he has up. Power too. Yeah, like this is there's underlying skills growth that occurred. The barrel rate at twelve point eight percent was the highest of his career. Not surprisingly, the hard hit rate was up too. He might just be one of those messed up, low average, low OBP, good slugging percentage type players. I mean, that's that's been the way Javier Baez has gotten by with a good average sometimes too because he hits the ball so hard that he gets away with a high K right like that could be the type of slash line that we get from Mondesi in a good year but what really hasn't changed is the concerns about his health the oblique is a constant problem for Mondesi now we're talking about a guy who's third base only going into the season whose GM has said that they they don't consider him an everyday player I think that's BS I think they is that just like motivational speech? I think so. I, or maybe it's just more like, hey, he's been hurt a lot, so we're just going to make sure we've got great depth. And got if he's, depth at his position, yeah. Yeah, I think it's more about that. Because if he keeps barreling the ball the way he has, and he's as efficient as a base dealer as he's been, and he's a good defender on the left side of the infield, how is he not an everyday player? You know, that's true. It's kind of like the discussion about Miles Straw, right? It's like, yes... Uh, Miles Straw is not going to project to have uh, a bat that's like 20% better than league average. However, it's probably going to project to be around 10% worse than league average. And that fly, that works if you play a, de- a position that de- defense is required and you're great at it. So in some ways, he's like uh, um, another Miles Straw with the opportunity of hitting for more power than Miles Straw. I mean, yeah, there's... An actual power profile here that we'd get excited about. I'm, I'm talking myself into this, man. I I have not liked him any of these years, and so I have not spent what it took to get to the table. And I feel like for the most part, that's been a good decision because you know he's put up 700 plate appearances in the last three years combined. At the same time, now the price I think is one of its lowest that it's been. And if I can get him in the in the fifth round, sixth round. Uh, especially if I haven't taken much speed, I might take a shot at that. I mean, all it takes to make Montessi, uh, you know, a good player in on your team is to then take, you know, like Michael Brantley later. Yeah, you can 
adjust out of that batting average risk. We've talked about that with a few players. I think it's it's interesting because the NFBC is a, a high stakes market. Most of the drafts that have happened so far are smaller. They're draft champions leagues with you know $150 entry fees or cut lines or different things that are smaller compared to what we're going to have in March. If we're talking about a 15-team league and he's a fringe top 50, top 60 guy, you're looking at him more as a fourth rounder in a 15-team league. And those leagues don't mm-hmm. have trading. Are you comfortable in a high-stakes situation paying for that? Because I think in in leagues that have smaller buy-ins, I'm willing to take on more risk. I feel like I play it a lot more conservatively when I'm playing for larger sums of money. I think that almost, it's probably a flaw. You play the game to, to win. If you think he's a good value, he's a good value. It shouldn't be about how much money you have invested risk in is a team. funny thing, though, man. You can look around and find risk. Like, for example, Arnado goes six, six play, uh, spots behind Mondesi, right? So you could say... I'd rather take the much safer thing of Nolan Arenado versus Alberto Mondesi. At Alberto Mondesi, but the weirdest thing about Arenado is he has like a he has a really blah barrel rate, and he hits in a really terrible park. So you know, is there some collapse potential in that in that power? And if he hits twenty seven homers next year with like a two sixty five batting average, who would you rather have, Arenado or Mondesi? Mondesi, because I'm assuming if he finally stays healthy. The average won't be that much worse. The speed will be amazing. 40 plus bags if he's healthy. And you're probably getting a similar like 20-ish home run sort of output, if not more. I mean, he could yeah, he, could, he might be more is... balanced. He might be more 30-30 because of the increase in power. I think that's the part like the of Mondesi's profile that's changing that people aren't thinking about. Like, sure, the ceiling for 50 or 60 steals is there. He's not an empty power guy. He's not an empty power guy. And if he's getting to that power consistently, he'll run a bit less. I mean, yeah, I think if if you're looking at uh, sometimes, you, you know, we we look at the downside when we think about risk most of the time. And that makes sense. I just did it with Arenado and I do it all the time when I look at Mondesi. However, uh, it's all risk reward and the upside on Mondesi. Uh, yes, I would say that even that risk of Arenado is probably lower than the risk, the downside risk on Mondesi. But the upside uh, potential for Mondesi is higher than the upside potential for Arenado uh, just because of those steals. And, you know, you're talking about being conservative in these high stake leagues. But what if, you know, there's an overall prize? And what if picking honesty over Arenado is how you win the overall prize? Now you're you're a millionaire. <laughs> it's not quite it's not quite a million, but it's <laughs> I wouldn't be complaining. I mean, that's part of the calculus, too, though. You have to do you have to do something to stand out, to dominate across the board. You got to be what top. 80%, I think, in every single category, basically. And one way to do that is if you're taking those more stable hitters with the first couple picks before you get to Mondesi, maybe the guys that are true first-rounders, but they don't run as much as people would like. You get those guys, you get your batting average in addition to the run production and power secured, and then Mondesi's there. Maybe it's two hitters and a pitcher. Mondesi in the fourth round, it could definitely make sense. I think the hardest thing about building around him or anybody that you're expecting 40 or 50 steals from, if you lose that player, going to the wire and finding a replacement is difficult. I think I would want to have more position flexibility, more multi-position guys on my roster to be able to account for a potential Mondesi absence, since a lot of that speed we're going to find during the season is going to come from the outfield or maybe from some depth middle infielders. So I think you have to be aware of that too, because getting... 40-plus steals from a third baseman is just strange, and you're not going to find that on the wire. 
Yeah, uh, you know, I ended up taking a, a player that's somewhat similar in the same round in my draft and hold. I took Tyler O'Neill. Um, and yeah, maybe like eight picks ahead of Mondesi, but I think it was the same round. And it's a very interesting round. I'm just going to name off some names here uh, that go between 50 and 60, uh, you know, where Mondesi is. Lindor, O'Neill, Alonzo. Wander Franco, Springer, Buxton, Arozarena, Eloy Jimenez, Mondesi. There is, uh, to some extent, a take your shot on a guy uh, aspect to this. This isn't this isn't the first two or three rounds where it's like you've got a stud right now. There's some questions, you know, with Eloy Jimenez, uh, some questions of of health, and and you know he's probably doesn't have that speed upside. Uh, Buxton's a huge health guy. The Wanda Franco is just like how we know there's upside. How much is he going to show in this year? Tyler O'Neill, there's the batting average, uh, you know, strikeout rate downside. Lindor, there's the aging question. So it's a it's a pretty fascinating round. Javier Baez even goes a couple after Mondesi. So I find this a, a super fascinating round. Um, and I think to some extent it's it's sort of yearning at me to take a shot, take a shot, you know, take a shot. Well, yeah, and again, it comes down to how you've built your roster to that point. You know, if you've got a Vlad Jr. in the first with maybe, you probably wouldn't go Freeman, but let's say you went Vlad, maybe Woodruff, like you were saying before, and... and even Manny Machado, you'd still be low in steals. Mm-hmm, or Jordan Alvarez. You'd be, oh, yeah, Jordan Alvarez, you'd be pretty good on batting average. Yeah, you feel great about those bats, but you say, I need that speed boost, then... You take that chance, and you, maybe you're more willing to take that chance because of the underlying power development too. Like there's there's more going on with him as a hitter than the first two parts of a disappointing slash line. I guess that's why. Yeah, and maybe I'd and maybe interested. you think you know I'm going to create some surplus here and take somebody like Miles Straw later. You know, just to, so in case Montesi gets hurt, I'm not like at a zero for steal, steals, right? You know, that's another philosophical question. Do you want another? speedster that gets 30 plus bags or do you want to make sure everybody else in your team runs because you know you've got that that injury risk on Mondesi where you're still good like you're trying to crush the I category think, in the overall with Mondesi yeah. but you could still do well if you had balanced speed up and down your roster yeah I think I would go with balance and then what I would do is if it was like a draft and hold or I had some bench spots I would take some shots on the bench for the extra speed right because then what's happening is Montessi will come to your go to your bench if he's hurt and you'll have to take somebody off your bench so what if you had oh, Victor Robles <laughs> he's your guy now you, you uh, took him <laughs> yeah I own him but uh, what, you know there's some late uh, steel, steel shots your, your future mile straws you know uh, what if you just take one or two of those on your bench so that you know when when Mondesi gets hurt, I guess, uh, you have a speed guy you're going to put in for him. Yeah, it's it's scary. You look back over his entire career, and there's one season in which he's played more than 100 games. It was back in 2019. He did play 59 of 60 in 2020, which I feel like, because you're talking about a guy that's been hurt a lot, it's sort of just like, ah, well, doesn't matter. It's like he played pretty much every game in the shortened season. That should be a slight bump. In the hey, maybe he's not quite as broken, not quite as risky as people are, are treating him, and obviously the payoff could be a big one. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is where I need your help. Tier 3. I think mm-hmm. this is where I get into trouble because part of, one part of why I would hold off on the guys we've talked about so far, Riley specifically, and maybe Mondesi just because I think I prefer Buxton's varied injury history as opposed to constant oblique trouble if I had to choose between those two players. I was also thinking about uh, if you had Mondesi and you wanted to have like a bench speed guy to pull in for him, the only real option is like Jonathan VR, right? That would in help. order, yeah. If you wanted to have a position to position switch, you know what I mean? But if you do the Buxton thing, you're doing the same kind of play where you're like, here's an oft injured guy who has power, has speed, could give me an MVP season if he was healthy all year, but is probably going to be hurt. It's a lot easier to find late outfielders with speed that you could put on your bench and prepare for that Buxton injury. Uh, as opposed to finding a late third baseman with speed to to pair with with uh, Monsi. Good call on VR though, because that would be one of the only players in the pool that could be like a one for one replacement if you don't end up getting enough multi eligible guys to shuffle around and and find speed wherever it's available once that problem arises for you. But to me, this is sort of the the earliest sweet spot. You mentioned Arenado before; he's decaying. Uh, we all are. And he's an accumulator with pop, if nothing else. Guys like that, they hit 260 with 23 bombs and drive in 90 and score 90 just by playing a lot, right? Because he puts a ton of balls in play. His real-life flaws as a hitter get masked by max volume. You know, what you just said right there is probably the floor for Arnado, Bregman, Bryant, and Rendon, who you have in this tier, tier, right? Yeah, this group of players, these are all guys that used to be early rounders, and now they're mm-hmm. they're, they're like early middle rounders now. Bregman's coming off wrist surgery. I'm still a believer because we've talked about him a lot. He was playing hurt last year, and he's a difference maker. Love that strikeout, right? He's a difference maker when he's healthy. Chris Bryant. I think he showed us enough last year to ease some of the concerns about his shoulder. I think the floor for him is really good. We don't know where he's going to play yet, but you also get the added benefit of being able to move him between third and outfield if your, your roster's built that way. And then, you know, Anthony Rendon is kind of being drafted more like an early tier four guy, but from a used to be an early rounder, brings actually a lot of batting average potential, run production power. He's coming off hip surgery, but I love Anthony Rendon where he's going. Why does the bat not like him? Is it plate appearances? There's some plate appearances stuff there. Uh, He's projected for 573 plate appearances there. It's a little lighter. Yeah, there's a lot of six, like mid 600 guys ahead of him. So if you bump that up, he'd probably pass Donaldson, McMahon, Suarez. He'd he'd probably be right there with Bregman. Losing an RBI in runs compared to uh, at least Bregman and Bryant. I just think the projections are wrong about Maybe the, the, this is the guy arguing with the computers, but healthy Shohei Otani, potentially healthy Mike Trout, young guys like Adele and Marsh, Jared Walsh, we talked about him before, Stassi's a good catcher. This is a good lineup. If they have everyone healthy, they're going to be better. We talked about it with Britt a few weeks ago. This is a team that I think could actually be a playoff team. They sneakily have that 
and I think it's more because of their offense being able to do a lot of damage. Rendon, you know, prior to 2021, only played 58 games last year, hit 286 or better in each of the previous four seasons, counting the shortened season. That 30 home run season, 34 home run season we saw in 2019, sure, maybe he's not that guy. That's fine. He doesn't have to be that guy, especially at this price. But if you're going to tell me that he's a 25 home run guy that's got a chance at driving at 100 runs, he's going to score 80 or 90, and he's probably going to hit for a good average, I would take the over on all the projected batting averages, which are, I think, topped out at maybe 273 with zips and are as low as 262 on the bad X. I'm in at the high end of that scale, above the high end of that scale for average. Run production should be good. Power is solid. I mean, what, what am I missing? Like health track record is is bad earlier in his career, and he's coming off hip surgery. So maybe maybe the hip surgery is something that I'm not considering enough. But he's supposed to be ready for the start of spring training if it started on time. And now he's going to get extra time because spring training is not going to start on time. <laughs> yeah, just hope you're, he's doing the right work and, you know, that he's not just out there on his own. I mean, there's got, there's some risk that, then again, <laughs> with the Angels, uh, we saw during COVID that they really just shut it down uh, and didn't really communicate with their players and didn't really give them plans. So <laughs> it can't be that different. And Rendon is the kind of guy who has, uh, you know, made a lot of money and so therefore has a, probably a good support system around himself. So uh, I would be more nervous maybe about a young kid that was hurt that maybe didn't have as much money to, to pay a good lab and, you know, da-da-da-da-da. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, mm, I, I, it's, a weird, uh, it's a weird package because it never had that much uh, speed. And then, he, you know, even when he played in 2020, it was a little bit lackluster. Um, and there's, like, this definite, like, downward trajectory where, like, he just hasn't been as good as he was with Washington. So I just I, I look at it and say 2020 was stupid. So he walked more than he struck out that year. If you tripled up the numbers, it would have been 27 homers, 93 RBIs, 87 runs scored with a 286 average and over 400 OBP. He's had a OBP over 400, three out of the last four seasons prior to 2021. That's a great player to be getting in this range. So yeah, I'm totally in on pretty much this whole group. And I'm just wondering if I'm, taking on too much risk in the case of Rendon and with Bregman's wrist and maybe Bryant's shoulder. I mean, I think of the group, Arnado goes the earliest because he's the healthiest. But now I just think he's sort of this like super safe guy that has a lower batting average that he had in Colorado. And if, by the way, his his home run chart, everything is to the pull side. It's left and left center. That's where everything's going right now. So I wonder if that power will start to dry up a bit and we're going to be talking about you know, Arenado in a year or two, the way we talk about someone like Evan Longoria right now, which it's funny because you go from sitting just inside the 75 to 100 range to outside the top 300 really fast. Like if you get hurt <laughs> at this yeah, point of you your career, hurt. you get there even faster. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm not crazy about him right now. He's of the players in this tier. He's the one I like the least from a draft day cost and value perspective, but I'm not afraid to roster him i think he's just he's the kind of guy that dollar for dollar in an auction i'm more likely to get in a snake than i am in a snake draft where i'm consciously choosing him over other guys that i think make more sense in that range what i do think is interesting about this tier uh as much as i you know 
I'm not super excited about each of them. Bryant has uh, poor exit velos. Arenado has poor exit velos. Bregman has always had poor exit velos. And, uh, but, you know, and this health bit. Um, what I do like about them, I do, I think you're right. I think they're plug and play. They're going to be in there. There's not any sort of platoon matchup or this or that. Um, but I also see that they are like the last group that I want, that I would be excited about starting at third base, that I'd be like, yay, I got a good starter at third base. Most of the names after it, even the ones that I like, and, you know, we'll get to those, I would feel much better about at corner infield, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I think this from this jump from this tier we're about they were talking about to the next tier that we're about to talk about i think is the reason why people think third base is shallow it's not that there aren't any super late guys that are interesting there's not even you know guys in the next tier there'll be guys that are interesting but i think when you talk about i have a a starter at first base that i'm happy with we've got three four five nine that we talked about so far and i might add one more to and that's it so I do think that you kind of want to get in this tier if you haven't got a third baseman yet. And I think that's a decent, it's a decent place because you could say, hey, I could get Rendon at the 100th pick and get, you know, get a top 10 third baseman and not have spent as much as everybody else. Yeah, I, I think it's important to get in before we get to this group that we call tier four. Huge group. This is the pick 100 to 200 range. But we it's talk- pretty ragtag, man. So I'm going to run through the names. We're going to kind of break them down individually. DJ LeMahieu, who we've talked about on the second base episode already. Brian Hayes, Yolan Mancata, uh, Luis Arias. We've talked about him already. Justin Turner, Ryan McMahon, who also has second base eligibility. Matt Chapman, Eduardo Escobar, and Eugenio Suarez, who you at least got me thinking more about after what you said on the shortstop episode about him. His big September. Big September. Okay, so LeMahieu... There's nothing left for me to say about him. I just think he's he's fine where he's going. I'm just not taking the risk right now because he's coming off the abdominal surgery. And I feel like compared to someone like Rendon, LeMahieu's ceiling is not high enough for me, comparatively speaking. I think Rendon gives okay. you most of the batting average and more power and probably better runs and RBIs combined than LeMahieu will if LeMahieu's healthy. So that's where I'm... I'm willing to take the risk on one guy, and I'm less willing to take it on the other. They're almost identical in ADP. Brian Hayes and Yolan Moncada, I think, are are both interesting for pretty different reasons. Because with Hayes, it's just a matter of getting the ball in the air. Last season was the worst ground ball rate that he's posted anywhere that he's ever played as a pro. And I don't think that's who he's going to be as a player in the long run. I think the opportunity for him to be a max volume guy is clearly there. He's a great defender at third base. I don't think he's going to be a liability in batting average. And because he's on a team that's rebuilding, there should be plenty of opportunities for him to hit in or near the heart of the order. So I just think there's a lot to to like about his opportunity if he can come through with a step forward skills wise. Yeah. And if we're comparing this whole tier on 75th percentile outcomes, he's got to have the best one. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And- and I mean, Moncada might be there with him if he kind of puts together different parts of his historical, you know, the the the, the, the career he's had to date, um, you know. But the two names that that strike that kind of pop off this list to me, and this is why I said there are names I like. I mean, Hayes is Hayes is really 
I think my my tenth third baseman. You know, that's the guy that I actually have as a starter in at least one draft and hold. Where I wasn't like dancing around, but I was like, whew, I don't like what happens after him. So you know, if you want to create a top ten and you want to get in that top ten, I think Hayes is one of your last chances. And it's mostly based on his upside. I mean, but his downside, at least, you know, as said by projections, is a ten-dollar third baseman with some speed, which is a, a kind of an interesting package that can that can kind of help you if you're going to do that little bit of speed from everyone package. He's perfect for that. However, the two names that kind of jump off this, I don't want them as starters, but they are completely undervalued, and projections love the crap out of them. And yet, there's of course a reason why the projections in the ADP don't match up. That's Josh Donaldson, who had the best barrel rate of any third baseman last year. Barrel rate is the best predictor of next year's power, if you want to look at one stat. And uh, the other one is Justin Turner, who's projected to be a $15 player. He's projected to be superior to Adalberto Mondesi. However, Justin Turner is projected for 548 player appearances. Josh Donaldson is, is projected for 564 plate appearances. And even if they play to those plate appearance totals, it doesn't fully capture how difficult it will be to own them in weekly leagues. Because the Dodgers will sit Justin Turner on a random Tuesday, on a random Thursday. You won't know why. You won't know before it happens. It'll just happen. Josh Donaldson will get a load management day. It won't even be because of injury. And that is a secret stealer of runs and RBI and opportunities to hit homers. And that's why they just uh, don't show up. And, and, I, and I, don't, I think it's something that, you know, auction calculators struggle with. Um, I haven't actually seen a toggle on a, an auction calculator anywhere that says weekly or daily lineups because I don't even know conceptually how to enforce that. It's fair. I mean, we've talked about it before in that if you... Okay, so let's say the Dodgers week starts on a Tuesday and you're planning on using Turner and you find out that he's not playing on a Tuesday. This could be any player, literally any player, guys that just miss time because of maintenance or they share a role. You're immediately going to second guess whether or not he's going to play on Wednesday. Well, is he sitting because something's bothering him? If they don't announce an injury, you're going to start to wonder. And then if he's got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you've only got one corner guy you can throw in who didn't lock already, you probably want to guarantee someone who plays Tuesday. If that other player on your bench All is playing Tuesday. All of a sudden, Turner's not playing for you. And right. Like, and you're using a lesser somebody, player. Yeah. You're probably using yeah. your you know, your other, your backup first baseman who can also play the corner. And that guy probably platoons. He might even lose a game that you don't even notice. Yeah. Like, what if you're plugging in Luis Urias and it's the Luis Urias that, you know, doesn't have a full-time job for some reason, you know? You know, and, uh, you know, I do have maybe a framework. Uh, I wish I could think off the top of my head there. His like Twitter handle is like, is it like Jordan in Finland or something? Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. (laughs) There's somebody, I think he's on the picture list or something. He's got this uh, where he, where he uh, looks at bench production. Right. And so then he takes. He takes a player that has a certain projection and then replaces the missing plate appearances with what he thinks he can get off the, the sort of replacement level, right? And then adds that back into the value of the first player because say this person gets hurt, you can do this, right? So it's an interesting framework to me. And I think that the the question is, uh, basically, if you had that framework, that weekly and daily lineups would have very different replacement values. 
Yes, absolutely. And you have to build a bench correctly. If I, and yeah, and the size of bench maybe has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. But but that but that within that is a bit of a, a of a framework possibly to figure this out, which is like, you know, in a daily league, if Turner is hurt, uh, I pick up a guy and I and he can play tomorrow, or maybe in some cases today. You have some leagues where you, I can just pick up a player and play him today. Um, and in that case, replacement level would be very high. But if I have to wait till Sunday, then I'm gonna lose a X amount of days, right? And I have to pay FAB to get that. So there's a cost to the replacement, you know. He's not just a free replacement. And uh, and there's a cost in terms of days waiting till I get that free replacement. So I think that's the basic idea here is that, like, in a daily league, Donaldson and Turner, woo, really good picks, I think. Just go get them. I mean, like, especially if they're your CI or a bench pick or something, like, I love it. You know, you'll have other options when if you have a if you have a lot of IL slots like Yahoo has a pretty free and easy like IL situation right now because of COVID where you have IL plus and all this stuff. If you can just sort of sit Donaldson down there for a day or two and pick up somebody off the wire for a day or two, that's a beautiful situation to be in. And you're going to get a lot of value out of those guys. NFBC 15 team format with the with with a five man bench and FA and only a certain amount of FAB, no zero dollar bids. Donaldson is not as good as his projected value in the auction calculator. Right. There's. We're also talking about guys who are in their late 30s who have chronic soft tissue problems with mm -hmm. their legs. And if I'm taking injury risk, am I taking it in a guy who's 37 with multiple years of leg injuries, or am I taking it with a guy who's 26 with a couple of years of oblique injuries? Like that's. There's a pretty big difference there in, in what you're getting. I, I think the market does a good job of adjusting for format here. Like I think it's done that pretty consistently. I think Turner's looked undervalued relative to the auction calculator for four straight years now. <laughs> and there's going to be a year where he just tears it completely and doesn't play at all. Do you have his uh, Rotowire uh, uh, accrued value from last year? No, but what do you think it is while I'm looking it up? 15-team league. Well, see, his projected value is he should be top 10. Uh, but did he did he get hurt last year? Missed a little time. He, he always misses a little. I mean, this is very very similar to the Donaldson situation at this point in their careers. Well, he ended up with 612 plate appearances last year. Well, then I'm gonna give I'm gonna say he was top five in in accrued value at third base. He was sixth. He was twenty one dollars. <laughs> Close twenty one dollars. Yeah, everybody ahead of him played more because it was Ramirez, Devers, Riley, Machado, and Arenado. And now by ADP, he's uh, he's going after Rendon. He's going after Lemayhu. He's going after Cabrian Hayes. He's going after Luis Urias. I think Turner is more playable in those weekly leagues than you might be giving him credit for. But I think I would take him ahead of Luis Urias. Come on. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. But I think I want to circle back to Hayes for a minute. The projection on Cabrian Hayes, we'll use the bad X for this one, 15 homers, 11 steals, which you mentioned before, like getting that speed from a place where you just want to get a little bit from everyone. That's really nice. 263 average. Like I don't have anything in that projection that gives me any sort of pause. He could play more than that projection. That's a 599 plate appearance projection. I'm taking the over on the average. Over on average. Okay. Over 263. I'm over on the average. Yeah. Easily. In my heart, because... For some reason, I love Cabrian Hayes. I'm taking the over on on homers, but I am using the projections to be like, be still my beating heart. You know, he's a 15 homer guy. 
Right. Don't draft him two rounds above ADP. Right. But I could see him hitting 25 homers and stealing 15 bases next year. And think about how much we'll love him going into 2023 oh, if that boy. happens. I mean, we're talking about a top 50 player easily if that's what he does this year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm, I'm generally over on everything but the steals. I don't want to expect more than 11 or 12 steals because there's a lot here to like. The other player that goes in this range that I really like is Ryan McMahon, believe it or not. And I was looking at the year-over-year changes to strikeout rate. He was among the biggest strikeout rate gainers last year. Got second base eligibility as well. The home road splits are, well, they're pretty typical of a guy that plays in Colorado. Very good at home and very disappointing on the road. Top 23 homers last year over... Over 80 RBI, had 80 runs scored, runs a little bit, had five steals back in 2019, had six in 2021, doesn't chase a ton of pitches outside the zone, he draws his walks, and he hit the ball in the air more than ever last year. I know that the home road adjustment could just continue to be there, but if you told me you got to pick someone at third base who could jump up into the top 60 ADP-wise next year, and it can't be Cabrian Hayes. I was going to say, Cabrian Hayes. <laughs> Ryan McMahon would be my next choice from this group. I think oh, it's, I think there's a lot it. to like here. I just here. find it boring, dude. Why do I just find it boring? It's boor- It's a boring strikeout rate. It's a boring barrel rate. He's ah. barreled the ball more in the past, though. He's, he's shown us that he can get to the barrel a little more often. It's he's already, with, already the way he is, he's got a good floor. He's not a 700 plate appearance guy that's already volume maxed out, even though he's an everyday player. He's never done. He's never even done 600. Yeah. I just think there's more room in an average here, too. Hang on. Let me see here. Let me look at Luis Urias for a second. Urias has a better strikeout rate, or did last year. Luis Urias had a better barrel rate, did last year. Had a better walk rate. Had a better reach rate. Has a nice home park. I mean, anyway, I'm not saying necessarily Urias over McMahon, but uh, I would I would just put Urias forward as a possible name in this group. Fair enough. And and if you put them in the same ballpark, I'm taking Urias Urias. That's what I'm saying. So I just think there's no there's no underlying playing time concern with McMahon that and there I think we do have a little bit with Urias, despite all of those steps forward offensively, because the defense was just that bad. So I think that's part of where the added appeal comes in for me too. Is I think McMahon is even safer, and I think the average is much better than what the projection systems are spitting out because of the K rate improvement, because of the ballpark. Could be the guy that's driving the ball to the gaps a little more often going forward. I think we're gonna get his, we're gonna get the first above average WRC plus season from Ryan McMahon. As a 27 year old in Colorado this year, I don't know if that, it feels like I'm now. It feels like I'm like barely creeping up there. I think it's going to happen. I'm I'm really excited about him at the price. I'm going to fade a guy here. We sometimes we talk like we love everybody, and you have to not love somebody. Yeah, we do. We love everyone. And I love Eduardo Escobar as a person. Uh, he was a, he's a, bit, a joy to talk to. Anybody, anytime I talk to him, I think he will be uh, good for the Mets in terms of. Uh, some positional versatility um, and just a, a good clubhouse guy. I don't really want to uh, to buy him. I don't think um, that uh, you know. There's this weird stuff going on with City Field 
where it has uh, it's it's more pitcher friendly than people expect. He had a K rate spike last year. He's 33 years old. Uh, he had his best barrel rate of his career last year, and I just see some regression coming. If he regresses to like a 6% barrel rate, has a 22% strikeout rate, goes back to his old 5 to 6% walk rates, I think we're talking about a guy who could hit 235 with a OBP uh, at 300 or below um, and like 22 homers. So uh, I like I don't I don't don't really want that on my team, on my fantasy team, my real life team. Uh, I think there's, he's kind of, he created depth, you know, uh, you don't no longer have to rely on McNeil or Davis. Now you have McNeil Davis and Escobar, uh, to, to cover some positions. You get to that point, his career maybe doesn't get every single day time because he's on a quality team that actually has some ways to mix and match and they're going to want to get everybody as involved as they can. Matt Chapman's interesting to me. I think it comes down to the K rate and whether or not he gets it back down. I think because we had multiple years, though, in 2018 and 2019 where the K rate was in the sub-25% range, because he makes a lot of hard contact, because he's done well power-wise, even in a pretty bad spot in Oakland, I see a lot more reasons to be optimistic than pessimistic. I think there's a little bit of Eugenio Suarez in this profile. If you look back over the years, you see some of the down years from Suarez where the average gets really low, but I see the bounce back. I, I see an average better than the 220 that most of the projection systems are spitting out. I think it's cheap power that actually comes with less of a batting average hit because I'm expecting the K rate to come back down into that mid-20s sort of range after we saw that a couple of years ago. I think it's a high fastball that's been giving him the most issues, though, so curious if you agree with this. Dude, you can tell why the high fastball has been giving him grief, right? Look at his fly ball percentage. It's over 50% the last two years. We know from various research that's been done that fly ball hitters do well against ground ball hitters. Well, guess what the league is full of right now? Fly ball pitchers that throw it to the top of the zone. He's created a bat path that hits at the bottom of the zone for power. So he's really struggling with that high fastball. The, I think that the, the, the hope comes from he used to have a bat path that had a, let's see here, what's his ground ball rate? 40% ground ball, a uh, 40% fly ball rate in 2018 and 2019. And look at his strikeout rates back then. The only thing is, I think we'd be depending on the hitting coach in Oakland who has been coaching him the last two years. Yeah, right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Hoping, hoping for some like outside voice. Although, if there is a time to search for an outside voice, it's after two years with a 220 batting average and a strikeout rate in every near 36%. Uh, I would say that if I were Matt Chabin, I'd be looking for a new voice. And the good news is the barrel rates are always high. The quality of contact is really good. The athleticism through the roof. The try-heartedness is through the roof. Like, this is a guy who tries super hard, who, who is super motivated. The uh, the carrot is there. He's almost a free agent. This would be a really good time to have a really good season. I think it all lines up for him to you know look for a new voice, make a change in his bat path, come back, strike out 25% of the time, hit 250 with 35 homers. All, all sort of on the table. I think we're going to realize when we Still do... Still want it at CI. You don't want to start at third. Well, yeah, I think I think corners better if you can go this route. I think we're going to see when we do the first base episode later this week, 
how much more we prefer this group of players as our corner guys than the first base options, a lot of whom I think have more playing time risk in this mm. part of the draft. Whereas you know, Matt Chapman's a great defender. He's going to be on the field every day because of his glove. He's not going to deal with the in and out of the lineup stuff that I think more of the cheaper first base options have to deal with. That's interesting. I was actually thinking that in some ways, um, remember what we were saying about shortstop? We're like, oh, shortstop is deep, but that doesn't mean you want to not pick them. They're great players at the top, right? And I think that if you think about playing time risk, it's only going to go up as you go down the defensive spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because at the top of the defensive spectrum, you have your 24-year-old that you just install and you say, no, we need you. We need your glove. We need your bat. We need all of it. Just go. And uh, at the bottom of the defensive spectrum, you have DH as an example, right? Like if we're just going to go you know, reduct, reduce it to the absurdity, it is DH. And at the very bottom, at DH, most teams just don't have a DH. They just won't run guys through there, right? And you've seen a lot of teams say, we don't really need a first baseman or we're going to go cheap at first base. And part of that is because you don't really need a good defender there. So you're just trying out different bats and see who can just stand there and, and, and you know, catch the balls that are hit to them. So, uh, yeah, third base, I think, is a little bit closer to shortstop where, like, there is some defensive value. But you're starting to get more injury risk and deeper. Like, it's harder to get deeper sleepers where you're like, ooh, I like this guy. Uh, because the defense matters. But we should jump into the next tier before it's an hour and a half. Yeah, I know we didn't get to talk about Yohan Mankata. So if you care about Yohan Mankata, uh, ask a question and we'll try to get to him uh, at some point in the not-so-distant future. Tier 5 is a total mess. Josh Donaldson by ADP falls there. I think he fits in with the Tier 4 guys. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Jammer Candelario Abraham Toro, Kevin Biggio, Gio Urshela, Josh Young, Jonathan Villar, Alec Bohm, and then maybe Patrick Wisdom, I guess. I don't, a, I don't like, I don't want any of these guys. They're pretty bad. I think there's... This is what I'm talking about. Like, I don't want any of these guys. I think as a corner, I'm okay with Candelario. Lowest yeah. gay rate we've seen from in the big leagues. Probably will play. Probably will play. Lineup around him could get a little better. Can he add more power? Like, do you see enough there's in a, his profile to think 20, 22 home runs are a possibility? I mean, there's a little bit of uh, some barrel rate improvement, I believe. But, uh, you know, he ended up, even with the barrel rate improvement, he ended up 24th. And this is with a, a low minimum. So you could probably say 18th or so uh, in barrel rate. But he's behind Urias, Bryant. I mean, Bryant had, we talk about him having low barrel rates, at least for his position. He's behind J.D. Davis. He's behind Monacy. He's behind Sheldon Noisy. You know, so it's like it's it's he's not a guy who has a ton of batted ball. But I do like the strikeout rate. I do like the playing time situation. He's probably other than Donaldson, who I talked about earlier. He's probably the name that leaps off the page for me. I think uh, Toro is is kind of similar to Candelario, but more playing time risk because that's a a Mariners team that added Adam Frazier and and seems to want to add more in the future. Uh, Biggio, uh, we've just talked about giving him a platoon mate and on the uh, on the athletic baseball show with Britt, I believe we were talking about uh, handing putting Josh Harrison on alongside him, which would cost him at bats. Gio Rochella plays, but I don't think his stats are that interesting as a hitter. He's more of a deep league type player. Uh, Josh Jung is is interesting because he has good uh, plate discipline and you know some emerging power, but. When is it going to be up? If you do pick him, you have to have somebody that's going to be up on day one to to pair him with. Otherwise, 
you're going to have it to be a pretty active in that first free agency period. So, um, I don't know. Baum, I like Baum, and his defense is really bad. So NLDH, I think, would help him uh, at least give him regular ABs to kind of recover his power. I wonder if Josh Young is Andrew Vaughn, but the version of Andrew Vaughn who got to play in the upper levels of the minor leagues. You know, I mm. wonder wonder what Andrew Vaughn's upper level minor league home run totals would have looked like. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that's my expectation for him as a hitter, as a rookie. Probably up early, based on all the changes they're making there. He's their third baseman of the present and the future. If they play the service time manipulation game, yeah, okay, fine. But he was 40% better than league average at AA last year, 66% better at AAA. The K rates were good. He's shown the ability to draw walks. I think the question for everyone is how much game power does he offer right away? I think it's really encouraging that he was hitting the ball in the air a lot last year in the upper levels of the minor leagues. I think there's also a question of what a strikeout rate will be. I love Young, and I, you know, at his given walk and strikeout rates, he he strikes me as one of those guys that could be one of my guys. However, his swinging strike rate, you know, last year at both levels was about basically twelve and a half. And that's uh, that's a little bit higher than I'd expect given that strikeout rate. So I might expect his strikeout rate to be more like 24, 25%, uh, which does uh, eat away at his his batting average potential. But uh, if we're talking about bench, you know, picks, if we're talking about uh, if you're in a keeper league where, uh, you know, all the prospects aren't kept and you could take a shot at a young player on your bench that could actually turn into a 12-team third baseman. Uh, then I'm I'm into him. Like I'm into him. Uh, it's just if you're talking about redraft, I need to depend on them from day one. I'm just sort of wondering what the adjustment will look like, what this the K K percentage would look like, what the power will look like, uh, what what day one for him in the big leagues is that sort of the sort of stuff. And you know, there is a, a interesting sidebar here that um, so Chris Clegg has this pretty cool uh, data studio thing that he's put together. Uh, where he's been looking at and something we've talked about uh, on our show here about Max Exavilo. Uh, Max Exavilo and Average Exavilo have a lot of noise in them because there are mishits. There are mishits at the bottom when you just sort of you know, hit something at 10 miles an hour or you, you, you know to top something at a minus 45 degree launch angle. Those mishits are, are not super valuable in terms of predicting the future. And then apparently there are mishits at the top where you just get a load of one at 120 or whatever and you, and you don't really show that as a repeatable skill. Um, and so Chris Clegg has gone through and kind of taken every percentile and looked at them. And this is working off of uh, some work that Jeremy Siegel did at Pitching List when he found that 90th percentile was better than max EV. Well, you know from this show that we've talked about that some places use 85th percentile and that Tom Tango said, really, it's 70th percentile. Well, the nice thing is Clegg has a sortable leaderboard, leaderboard um, on his, on his uh, Twitter that uh, you can do it by every percentile. So right now I have it by 90th, sorted by 90th, and I just wanted to relay three interesting sleepers that are in the top 10 by 90th percentile exit velocity. Uh, and still, barrel rate is more predictive than 90th percentile, but it is interesting to have it as another data point, and it can point out some guys like Yandy Diaz, still in the top five, right behind Austin Riley. Kelvin Gutierrez, who probably is going to play. I think he's the third baseman there. Ooh, really? Don't you? Who else? 
Oh, I don't know. They got to bring somebody else in. You can't, you can't let they that do be have Kelvin some prospects. Years. We got, we got yelled at a little bit that uh, there are some prospects coming. Jordan, Jordan, Westberg or something. Westberg. Yeah. Uh, they got some guys coming up, but I don't think they're necessarily ready right away. So Calvin Gutierrez is interested in me. Uh, Yandy Diaz right there. David Bodie uh, and Brad Miller, who I think is unsigned as of this moment. Uh, but all those guys rank ahead of Max Muncy, Matt Chapman, Eugenio Suarez, Jose Ramirez, Juan Mercado, K- K- Brian Hayes, Alec Bohm. That fills out the top 15. So there's something that Bohm did right last year. Uh, that's something to tell you about what Hayes' power could look like. But also, these guys are super endgame guys. And what's nice about Diaz, Bodie, and Miller is they have a little bit of so- sometimes uh, dual eligibilities. Uh, so you can move him around a little bit. Bodie, uh, as it stands right now in Chicago, I would say is in a mix with uh, who do you think he's battling? He's battling Madrigal and Wisdom. Wisdom at third, I think the most. I think I think they want to play Madrigal and Horner a lot. Probably because that would be that would be their kind of looking to the future uh, plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, let's say it's just wisdom, right? I think that there's uh, some serious collapse percentage uh, in in wisdom, uh, given his strikeout yeah. rates. Yeah, and his age. I mean, he's I think he's over thirty. Yeah, nice story last year. Not sure it's going to be a nice story this year as it pertains to Patrick Wisdom. I see two young players at this position that I, I could say are, are potential sleepers. It's not because people don't know about them. It's just because they may end up playing more than a lot of people are expecting them to based on their current ADPs. Jose Miranda in Minnesota, who can actually play multiple spots, and Kevin Smith in Toronto, who can actually play multiple spots. He's a guy that might actually play shortstop on a lesser team. He could play short. He could play second. He could play third. He made a swing change a couple of years ago. That was one of the things that caught my eye when I was reading the blurb that Keith Law had in him about his top 100 prospects. I was actually surprised Smith made the list just because he's a little older and he unlocked uh, a few things in the upper levels of the minor leagues. So, you know, we keep talking about Toronto as a team that could add a Josh Harrison or make a trade for Jose Ramirez. And if they don't get clear cut starters at second and third base, Smith is one of those guys who's not listed as a starter who could actually end up being a starter somewhere for them this year. So I think he's a nice option. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think he's also kind of like almost definitely going in the trade if they make a big trade. Yeah, he's either getting traded as part of the deal or he's sticking around and getting a chance to play as part of no deal as part of no deal. And Miranda's interesting, too, because there's two opportunities uh, for him to to make an impact. One is. Just, uh, you know, Donaldson tore, tore his hamstring, is out two months. I think if in that situation, you would call it Miranda uh, if he's not up yet. And the second one is Luis Arias is the projected starter at second base. And so if you look at the auction calculator and you kind of – and you're looking for sleepers and he's multi-eligibility and so you're in draft and hold and you're like, oh, my God, why is nobody taking Luis Arias? I think it's because nobody trusts that he's going to be the actual starter. And maybe they're going to do something still in free agency when we come back. Or uh, Miranda, you know, maybe Miranda's up and Arias is actually the backup uh, everywhere, super utility, which is kind of how his bat profile. So I think there's two opportunities there. And then I like your list of olds there uh, at the end. I like this list of olds a little better than some of the guys in Tier 5. Mike Moustakis uh, always had good barrel rates. And I know it's a little crowded in Cincinnati, uh, but if he comes back, maybe Jonathan India plays some outfield. 
that could be a way to solve it. Or or Mustakas plays DH. I mean, if they have NLDH, Mustakas is the DH. Yeah, uh, and or, or they Longoria, rotate. Yeah, Longoria and Brian Anderson are just uh, not super exciting anyway, but um, will play when they're in and are kind of like your two fifty twenty guys. And you know, there's a lot of use for that as your kind of replacement level. You know, in drafting holes or, or deep leagues, it's accruers. You know. Yeah, clear accumulator. I think with with Brian Anderson, you're talking about a guy that's on a team that's getting better. Marlins add a couple more pieces in free agency. Avi Garcia, you get a full year of jazz. It's just one of those guys that hits high in the order, plays a lot, coming off an injury plague season. So Down people season, have forgotten about be him. Next year, yeah. yeah. Kept the K rate in check after a, a jump in the shortened season as well. And Evan Longoria, he's not even a bounce back old guy. He was actually pretty good last year. I just <laughs> best I think, barrel rates of his career, yeah, best I, reach rates of his career. I think we just know that as a 36 year old on that team, he is not an everyday player, even if he's healthy. He is a 75% of the time sort of player if he's healthy and that's that's fine but you have to you know make sure you're in a format where that fits onto your roster yeah and I keep waiting for the Giants to spend on somebody and you know if the Giants do spend on somebody I think Longoria is one of the people that would actually lose some of the most I think it's Suzuki I think they're going to bring Suzuki in I think he's the Giants are one of the finalists so get that I think then they boost. would play Suzuki in center and Duggar would lose a lot of time. And Yaz would go Suzuki, Yaz. <laughs> Who's the other outfit I'm not thinking of? Uh, I should know this off the top of my head. I bet you. I kind of I kind of think they might be bringing Suzuki, actually. I I like that fit for them a lot. Well, rough is the small side. I guess, is it is Wade? Wade. Is it really Wade? Is, is Wade the big side platoon guy in a corner? I think so, yeah. Hooray. They really like his plate discipline and they cleaned up his mechanics to 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 you know tap into the power more. So yeah, Wade, Suzuki, Yastrzemski, I guess Longoria would play. I'm here for another season of late night Lamont. I enjoyed that about uh, 2021. <laughs> that was that was a fun part of of being out here. But that is gonna do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We move through the corner later in the week. We'll get to first base. If you'd like to sign up for a subscription to the Athletic, you can get one 33% off at theathletic.com. Pitching week is coming, I promise. I'm almost there. Might be next week. Pitcher yeah. week, probably next week, if things stay on the current calendar. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Rypert. You can find the pod at rates and barrels be sure to barrel up on the like button if you're watching us over on youtube we are back with you on thursday thanks for listening